It's Tuesday, February the 6th, 2024. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We will begin with our scripture of the week, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23, and a piece by me entitled, There Sure Are a Lot of Churches. Then Pastor Emily Larson and I will talk scripture, and more specifically, how we should make an actual personal connection with actual living people. But first, a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have reward, but if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For, though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. The last time my wife Sydney and I got to go truly church shopping was when we moved to Atlanta 12 and a half years ago. We knew that we wanted to attend a contemporary service, but even with that limitation, what we experienced varied wildly. We went to a large, prosperous, urban church that had retrofitted their multi-purpose space to house their more modern service. I remember that the room felt full. The band felt well-funded, the worship leader wore giant headphones, and no one spoke to us after the service. Next, we went to a small in-town congregation that only had a contemporary service. During that one, grown people spontaneously danced through the aisles, waving streamers, and the sermon centered on the modern reality of faith healing. Finally, we went to a new church start in a shopping center, made up almost exclusively of people in their 20s and 30s, and decorated with reclaimed doors and windows and a street art church sign. They took communion every Sunday, services lasted like 90 minutes, and the preacher always wore Chuck Taylors. The craziest part of this variety is that they were all United Methodist churches. There's an even wider variance if you just consider the churches within a 10-mile radius from me here in southeast Houston. Roughly 10 miles to my north and west sits Joel Osteen's 45,000-member former basketball stadium of a megachurch. More due north, you encounter three strains of cathedral, Catholic, Episcopal, and Orthodox as well as one of the highest church United Methodist churches out there. Dotted throughout this range, we've got all of the firsts. First United Methodist, where my grandparents met. Houston's First Baptist, where I held the hand of a girl while watching Jars of Clay sing Flood. 
First Presbyterian, where my son goes to Scouts and Choir, and First Christian, who I admittedly have no association with. Moving closer to home, on our block, in addition to Servants of Christ, we are neighbors to the Catholics and Pentecostals just across the street, as well as a small but historic Episcopal church just down the road, and the Evangelicals, Mormons, and Nazarenes just up the road. For a community organizing project, I'm about to do a survey to figure out all the churches in our immediate area, and I won't be surprised to find dozens just in our small corner of Southeast Houston. I recently endured a pastor's meeting where a person with a vested interest in creating more churches boldly stated into a microphone, Houston sure needs more churches. Really? For a world of theoretical religious decline, we have a huge crop of incredibly different houses of worship. We can read this with dismay as a sign of disunity in the body of Christ, but I choose the opposite tack. Yes, we do not get along as well as we should, or collaborate as often as we should. Also, we get really good at gatekeeping who counts as a true heaven-bound Christian, and who are the hell-bent heretics deceiving their flock. However, the reality of different ways of doing and being church, to me, speaks to what Paul gets at in his self-description here in 1 Corinthians. In the second paragraph of the text, starting with verse 19, Paul lays out all the different ways that he's had to live in the world in order to reach people. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, weak, strong, are all different enough that Paul has to approach them differently. From verses 22 and 23, I have become all things to all people, so that I might by any means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. To know that we belong, we need to be able to envision ourselves in that place. Each group will have their own pathways to finding God, so Paul walked down these pathways with each of them in their own way. It's solid, empathetic evangelism. Our friends the Corinthians needed to hear these words in particular. They deeply loved the concept that there existed a singular, correct way to connect with God and that they had found it. God gave them the truest gift, in this case speaking in tongues, and anyone without their gift and their knowledge didn't belong in the same way. Paul writes 1 Corinthians as a corrective to this instinct. He talks about different kinds of gifts, different kinds of love, and here in chapter 9 his approach to different people in different ways. The fundamental nature of humanity hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. We still need God to speak to us in a wide variety of ways, and maintain the tendency to think that the way that we've found is either the best or the only way. Some folks truly find God amongst incense, the chanting of ancient languages, and a bearded priest in swirling robes. Others need the energy of a rock concert and a perpetually upbeat man to show them the nature of God's love. Still more need the intimacy of a smaller, closer-knit community carrying forward decades or century-old traditions to plug them into the rhythm of the divine. Selfishly, 
I hope that there are folks out there who want to experience the breadth of God in a plucky multicultural church with way too much building for their own good. The diversity of the church doesn't have to mean the disunity of the church. It can merely indicate that God has the power to speak to a huge array of people in ways that they can each connect with. Sydney and I ended up settling at the storefront church with the hipsters reclaimed doors and graffiti sign. This probably isn't a shocking revelation. What was then called Oakhurst and is now called Eastside UMST still means a lot to me. It's the first place in my life as a Christian that I saw a place where I could actually naturally fit. So much of my journey in the church feels like cramming myself into a place that either doesn't quite want me or can't quite contain me. At Eastside, I finally found a thing that felt immediately like a church home. I didn't know, prior to that, just to what degree that God and God's church has the power to be all things to all people. When we understand that, we can believe that a church home exists for all of us. It's either already out there, or we may have to take the man's advice and make it happen. God can stretch. And because of that, we can stretch too. So, as you just heard in the piece, I really, for both for both essay and sermon, really teed off on the idea that Paul works really hard to blend himself into whatever situation he has found himself in so that people can find their way where they need to go. That he is the one doing the work to make others feel comfortable and like they belong. And in that way, as and I, you know, I, I love I love that we have ended up like really boasty, but the biblical authors aren't, because this is Paul. And Paul goes, so that for God's sakes I may win some. <laughs> right? That he like I don't know. I don't know. Where our wild expectations come from, other than, I guess, the day of Pentecost? Because everyone else, including Jesus, has a way lower hit rate. And uh, anyways, we should probably all find that more than mildly hopeful. But you Mm -hmm. get this image of two Jews. He, you know, in other places he talks about you know, how deep down that road he really went, you know, a Pharisee among Pharisees. But, like, he went deep down that. He could journey alongside Gentiles in a way that Gentiles would feel at home. And the one bending and stretching was Paul. Play this forward. In the essay, I took the comforting direction of, like, and so that means there's probably a church home for you out there somewhere. If you are someone who does not think you belong— even though there are a thousand, you know, whatever, how many dozens of churches within a five-mile radius of me, um, there's probably a church home for you. On the sermon piece, it was more the challenge of, like, if we really think that people who don't know that they belong here belong here, we should probably be the ones getting out of our comfort zone. Yes, I like that you took the sermon that direction. If y'all haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. It was a really good sermon this week. It is Uh, on our YouTube channel, 
youtube.com slash servants now. Um, yes. You want to hear Pastor Ayeni's beautiful reflection on uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, um, and have either trust your translator app um, or uh, speak Spanish. It also was beautiful. Also amazing. Yes, her sermons are always spot on yeah. too. I love, yeah. and I listen to all of them through Google Translate. So, um, so she's got to be extra good because she's good in both Spanish and English. Um, but yes, but I liked that your sermon took it in that direction of maybe we should let go of our expectations of what church should be, get out of our comfort zones of what we think church is supposed to look like and maybe go and be the thing that we need to be to make sure that everybody knows that they have a home here. Well, I, the, the real, the core pitch I made the frame I use is don't go, essentially, I didn't say it quite this way, but don't just be the temple of Jupiter again, right? right. And so if you think about this whole bit on architecture, but you think about church architecture, church architecture, once we could start having church architecture, is just like, what if we did the Greco-Roman temples, but for Jesus this time? Right. And so the whole concept is the whole concept of, and by the way, I'm sitting in this giant, you know, cathedral shaped object that reigns. And so this church too, right. Us too was like, Oh, we're going to have such grand architecture that it's going to show the grandeur of God and people will be drawn in by the grandeur of God. Right. Like, you know, what, what is buying a basketball stadium communicate about your church that your church needs a basketball stadium to contain it. Um, to pick on this is two weeks in a row of picking on Joel up the road, but um, yeah. but like but but, it, it go, but it's not Joel. It's not it's not original to Joel. It is right. as far back as Hagia Sophia in the five hundreds, right? I start by from, picking on Hagia Sophia, which I love. From Hagia Sophia to our modern day churches, I'm still having conversations with churches and new church starts who are more interested in finding a building that looks church shaped with you know stained glass and bell choirs than than maybe being um more blended into the community i mean what other institution anywhere has stained glass or or bell choirs maybe schools have bell choirs i don't know i don't um, i don't do so i don't know i mean some choirs? schools probably do but i mean that's such a thing that's so uniquely christian church you know, well, and it's, you know, and to, I brought this up. I bring up Wild Bill Daniels far more than anyone ever thought. My Methodist history professor, um, Wild Bill Daniels. Um, I really want to meet Wild Bill Daniels. Yeah, Can Wild I Bill need Daniels to find his contact. Show? He would be great. <laughs> I've lost touch with him because I, I, took, I, I took him for both evangelism and Methodist history, which is a strange blend for any scholar, but it was, it was him. Like he was like a career missionary before being a seminary professor, worked in international missions, had come out of like the lay missions movement. Anyways, he's a fascinating guy. Um, but this goes back to Wild Bill Daniels' thesis about the decline of the, Meth of the Methodist movement, not numbers and churches, but like us as a movement with energy and the power to transform things is when we built universities, put steeple, put on steeples and bought handbells. Right. <laughs> which, which I confess matches with my view of handbells specifically, uh, deeply. I have nothing against handbells. All those, you know, Dingalingers are just fine, but it, but it is such a uniquely Christian church trope 
it's just we we are the trope we are the archetype of this is this fits right. in with church building not and necessarily I, this fits in with church universal capital c or being all things to all people to those under the law being under the law to those um who are not under the law being one is not under the law right that is be able to deliberately connect with people who aren't here and i admit this is this scripture is going you know straight deeply into what is normally the other segment of the show that had to restart a church segment but like paul is talking about how he started a church um and you know what the Corinthians are wondering about Paul is, is Paul really an apostle? Because he sure doesn't act the way they expect an apostle to act, which is really funny that we're already there. We're like, like In 20 years. We're like, but we're like only like 20 years into the movement, right? We are not, this is not a late letter. This isn't even like revelation. Like this is like, like a, like a, as it goes fairly early in Christianity and already we go, you're the pastor, right? Like he's already like, <sighs> uh-huh. It is yep. nothing new under the sun. Um, and specifically what they are wondering is he didn't take, he didn't accept their largesse. He did not let them pay him. He earned his money in the Agora as a tent maker. And, right. Then they're like, well, you didn't act like an apostle. Are you really an apostle? And Paul's like, look, I was doing what I needed to do to go seek out people because I desperately want people to know about Jesus. And I want people to know about Jesus so much, I don't expect them to come to me. I am going to go to them. Right. I am going to go be a tent maker in the Agora so that those people can then know that they have a place in my community. And to take it slightly harsher than I did in the sermon, but it's essentially the meaning of the sermon, hear the bad news, friends. The Corinthians won. In a real way. The Corinthians won this debate. The way we act in the world, certainly in the mainline church, like 95% of the time, um, you know, there are pockets certainly in the developing world or, you know, uh, new church starts and interesting things that don't operate this way. But generally speaking, we really do erect large edifices and expect people to show up, expect right. people to come to us. And, and also that held us in reasonably good stead for, let's call it 1900 years. Um, but when we stopped, you know, being able to like legally mandate church attendance, which I'm not in favor of, or be the only institution that can marry and bury people, which I'm also not in favor right. of. When we actually had to earn this on our own merits and then also now have to compete against the National Football Association. Um, <laughs> I know that's not what it's called, right? You know, uh, right. football, baseball, basketball, both professional and kids. When we, when, we, when we now have to compete against the largest media conglomerates in the world um, for people's time, it's not working. Because people can do other things, are doing other things, because they go, well, why does this matter to me? I am, I am, I look at churchy people, I am not a churchy person, I must not belong with churchy people. Right. I guess this is back to, you know, from a couple of weeks back uh, with, uh, with, with Dr. Ashley Bogan, we need to be more vile. Paul is being vile. Yes, absolutely. We need to take the message to the people and not expect the people to show up to listen to your message. Because like, I get that that worked, 
But I also wonder how reliant were we on the fact that we were the only game in town, that right. we were the only we thing were the legal only show, right? Mm-hmm. The only show. Um, when you know you hear stories like you know churches like yes, yeah, this is our whole. This was our whole social life. This was our whatever. It was you know grew up in a small town, and this is just what you did. And I'm like, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, but like when we now we have. We when we are having to compete in an attention economy, right. it's all falling. I'm not shocked that it's all falling apart. And right. to also strain the bounds of how to research church, but like, yeah, you can turn the laser light show up to eleven, but that also gets really expensive and really unsustainable right. for all of us to turn the laser light show up to eleven. I happen to like and hired hired drummers on. Oh you know, god, the drummers! Yes, like, wires, but I, and right. like the wait. The way you have nothing, nothing against handbells, I have nothing against the laser light show. I love it, right? Right. Um, and I really do see God in that, like, super high production contemporary Christian music. Like, it's a huge yeah. part of how I land here, um, is discovering that in the late 90s and going, oh, my God, we can sound cool, right? right. That people could make, like what felt like relevant music to me about Jesus right. was like, just like a profound revelation, but that's not like, we all can't do that. Right. And that is not exclusively what Paul means. That is about the, like being real, like deliberately going out of our comfort zone to build actual human relationships. To be actually real and relatable. Going back to our conversation from last week about churchy words that we should probably not use in our everyday conversations. If we want people to know what it is that we are talking about and why they should come and be a part of it. Um, Make the language accessible. Make the place. Make the people accessible. Be the accessible point for someone to enter into relationship with Christ, with your church community. By being in relationship with them. Because people are not by default. In, in Paul's day, right, like, he didn't have, you know, 2,000 years of us being a thing. We we weren't a thing. Uh, Paul right. was making it. You know, Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> uh, was making us a thing. We are very much a thing because of Paul and that generation of Christians. And right. so he did not have 2,000 years of history to fall back on. People really didn't know we existed. And right. didn't understand, have any concept of the saving power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit moving your life. And so he had a real uh, heavy lift to make of, hey, um, you know, you you belong here inherently. No, no, it's not just for Jewish people. Like, it's, it's everybody, you know, you, you hear this strain in his letters a lot of like, no, 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 to trying to say to anyone who will listen, it's for everybody now. And like, this is amazing. Right. And he does this by placing himself out of his comfort zone to then open up this opportunity. And the other piece of it is he just seemed, he was like really motivated by it. Right. Right. Like he was, you know, God bless Paul. Paul commits Um, in everything that Paul ever did that we can tell Paul commits when he was committed to be a Pharisee, he was committed to the Pharisee to the point that he would murder. Um, He would murder people. Uh, mm-hmm. to be a Pharisee. Um, and so gl- bless Paul, commitment issues were not his problem. Um, right. summa cum laude, Pharisee University, right? He right. is like, the typical Pharisee. 
Right. But, you know, now once he sees the light and becomes, you know, what is the version of that for a Christian evangelist? What does being all in mean? Because, again, wherever Paul goes, Paul goes. It means putting himself deliberately outside of his comfort zone to show to people that they fit. Because what he is moved by is more people need this thing. This thing that I have found that found me. Take your pick. Both. More people need this. Right. Like even in this here in his own words, he is incredibly driven for people to know Jesus. And that drive leads him to leap out of his comfort zone and try into his best ability to be all things to all people so that as many people as possible can know Jesus. Yes. And so putting yourself in the shoes of or just putting yourself in the presence of in the Agora, um, in your community, in your neighborhoods, in, you know, there was a a fellow pastor of ours posted a thing today in social media that said there's a big difference between uh, feeding people and eating with people. Right. Um, Right. So actually eating with people really (laughs) to use our terrible church word fellowshipping with (laughs) um, but being in true community with people so that you can build that relationship so that you can be that example that um you know that entry point into christian community which is what we should all be as christians yeah no yo yes that we are this is fundamentally about Connection, right? Connection to the Holy Spirit, but understanding that the Holy Spirit moves through people. And the amount of investment that we have put into the, like, grandeur of God is not paying off to nearly the same degree as it used to. It used to. And... But now there's a lot of grand things, right? And, you know, Hagia Sophia is no longer the grandest. It's an amazing thing. Uh, But it's, you know, that... It's a tourist attraction. It is no longer an entry point into a worshiping community. (laughs) That's not how you do it anymore, folks. You know, here in... in I've got the scripture pulled up. Here in verse 8... Um, he asked, like, okay, like, I'm just fulfilling this commission. Like, I shouldn't get a reward for it. So what's my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation, I make the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights. And then jumping down to verse 23, um, I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Um, or also, I've become all things to all people so that I might by any means save some. So this gets at, something that I I swirl around often and comes up in our conversations, both broadcast and not, is that question of faith that motivates, right? Yes. That we as Christians talk a great game about Christian values and the importance of faith and raising our children in the faith. And that largely means dumping them at Sunday school um, and praying to God, the Sunday school teachers forge Christians out of them because we're not going to do it. Um, <laughs> and we have this faith that, you know, as written with this biblical Christianity. 
Um, you know, this was one of the very much one of those sermons where it's like, I'm not the one saying this. The Bible is saying it. I, I, I am not the one saying that, like, we need to, like, you, well, this is what Paul did. Um, I'm just telling you this is what Paul did. Um, that I wonder sometimes the degree to which this faith has really sunk in to the vast majority of the people who practice it. Mm-hmm. Because we have this, like, the, the like, red letters and then across testaments and certainly across letters. And, you know, this is where, like, Jesus and Paul really align is that this is an outreach and relationship-based thing. And, by the way, it sucks. And that's really hard. And um, uh, you may not enjoy all of it. I mean, Jesus gets murdered. Um, Paul... It's right. tough, but the like the essence of what it is to be a Christian is in some ways to be so motivated by this thing that has happened to you that you find healthy, appropriate, and relational ways to share it with other people. Yes. I so I was in this great um I take this great class for homeschool moms um that meets once a month and this last one the entire theme of the class was capturing your child's heart for God. Um, And so it was, it was this relationship based, like how do you do this every day in relationship with your children? Um, And I I feel like there's just a very high percentage of homeschoolers who are also, you know, very motivated to disciple their children. Um, And so it was very interesting to hear, but even in that group of people who, are interested in discipling their children every single day. There were people in the room who said, I feel very unqualified to talk about this topic. I feel very Uh unqualified to teach on this topic um, because even my own children who are now adults are not choosing to be a part of a faith community. And I'm just kind of hoping when they have grandchildren, they'll come back. Um, And so that to me just gives me a little picture into what it is that we are doing that might need to change as a church. Um, maybe not just put them in Sunday school, like you were saying, and hope that Sunday school turns them into little disciples, um, but that it is about that relationship, that it is about that um, that daily loving entryway into this relationship with God, relationship with the greater community, um, about caring, about giving a darn about what's going on in your Christian community, um, you know, I also wonder, I also wonder if it is to have more grace for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? That, and I think this goes back to like, let's get a lot of people, me included, me as pastor, I'm not saying that I'm on, I'm not saying that anyone actually puts me on a pedestal, meet me. If you put me on a pedestal, meet me and you'll stop. <laughs> I promise. Um, <laughs> that's, it's, it's fine. It's actually good. But right. why, when did we decide that only perfect people could teach other people about Jesus? Or right. the, the like, oh, well, my knowledge of the Bible isn't good enough. Two things on that. One, not sure that's the biggest problem. Two, that's an improvable thing. Um, right. You can uh, learn more. I didn't used to, used to know a lot about scripture either. 
I solved it in the most me way possible. Um, I got two college degrees on it. Um, that was what I did. Um, I, uh, when I got my call, this is a true story. When I got my call to ministry, I had a, like, I, I had that moment of, I don't know anything and I don't have the faith for this. And so I did two things. I hit the road for 10 years of like trying to like learn, see as much about what God was doing in the world as possible. And I essentially got a minor, William Mary doesn't actually have a minor in biblical lit, but I took like 19 hours of, um, of religious literature classes in my undergrad and then went to seminary some years later. Yeah. So that was my answer to the problem. And I get that that's not going to be everyone's answer to the, well, I don't know the Bible. <laughs> Trust me. I didn't either. Um, yeah. and, no, I, you know, I, I get it though. That is, I, and the other thing I tell people who are like, well, I can't be a Sunday school teacher or whatever, because I don't know about, you know, or I can't disciple others because I'm not yeah. discipled enough yet or whatever the case may be. Um, learn it by teaching it. Do you know? Yeah. Learn by teaching. But also <laughs> be okay. Like, I, I I try my best, and it is, I think, why I come off as kind of an idiot. I hope I come off as kind of an idiot on the show, actually, is I try to narrate how bad at this I am that maybe yeah. will give you space to feel it's okay to be bad at it, right? Yeah. That, like, it's okay to be bad at this. It's okay to be on a journey. We're on a journey. Paul's on a journey. Paul will tell you he's on a journey. Um, or, or like to be like Paul, who doesn't fit the mold that the right. Corinthians were looking for, right? Like maybe you don't have to fit the mold that has come before you. Maybe you are uniquely positioned to reach people in a new and unique and different way for God than anybody else who has come before you. Because also you have a story. You are here. You are doing that, right? Like you too could be watching the National Football Association. Um, realized I screwed up. I now have a meeting that ends at four o'clock on Super Bowl Sunday. It's fine. Oh. Um, I'll, it's going to be fine. Um, I am not giving up on this meeting for the sake of the National Football Association. Uh, my son would be really mad at me. My son hates it when I deliberately comedically call important things the wrong name. Um, there is this thing at the Children's Museum that I know is known as Kidtropolis, but I start calling it Kidtopia. I did it on accident once, and then it made him so angry that I've just been doing it ever since. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but, like, you have a story. You are here for a reason. And I don't even just mean in the, like, grand, like, misreading Jeremiah 2911 way of you're here for a reason. No, no, no. Like, something in you motivates you to right. be here. You could be anywhere in the world right now, and you chose to be here. Mm -hmm. Why? And then that's the lead. That's the thing. That's the thing that you have that can reach other people. And it can be the story of, I was raised in this and I've just found such a home and a peace. And then I came to learn that that home and peace is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Right? And I get that it's not like, a, I was a drug addict and then I found, right. a, and if you have that story, by all means, share it because people need those right. stories too. But even if you just had the story of like, I've always been here. And what I've realized is, this is the place where I know peace. This is the place where I know family. This is a place where I don't even have words for it, but something just feels right. Well, that's also God and yes. valid, right? Like we, we, 
again, the people who give testimonies are sometimes the, the worst people to give testimonies because people who stand up and have testimonies, people who think they have a testimony. And we also need the people who've just, like you, Emily, who've just always been here. Just always been here. Yeah. I, I have a very boring testimony for the most part. It's just, I, we've always been here, right? Um, and so, and I was the like, you know, third grader, fourth grader who went to church camp and found Jesus, you know, like it, stereotypical, um, teen and youth group and never got into huge trouble. Right. But that testimony matters too. And there are a lot of other people out there who need to hear that testimony. But also like even people who can't relate to that story directly (laughs) will relate to how you feel about that story. Right. That like humans, vast majority of humans, we'll qualify that minorly, are wired for empathy. And so while they may not connect with the like events, know what it was like to raise church camp, all that, they'll see how you feel about it. And that Mm -hmm. how you feel about it becomes the real power of the testimony. Right. Right? Like human, I I did this with, go ahead. Yeah. And really just how you feel about your testimony of now, you know, not maybe how you came to know Christ, but how you are living in Christ now and how that's making a difference in your life now and how you are living differently because of that relationship in community with others who are also living for Christ now. That is also your testimony. And that is the only thing that people can empathize with. And that's the story that we, that we all have. We all have that. Some like we're all here. Something keeps us here. Right. Mm -hmm. At this point, you know, and this is the, like the, 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 the challenge of the common era is the loss of nominal Christianity. The joy of the common era is the loss of nominal Christianity. Right. I'm not, we may, we are on the whole numerically smaller, but also we are now much more full of people who definitely know that they want to be here. Right. And, and, and I don't not just, we have way fewer people that are just here and certainly way fewer people who are now 40 minutes into a 30 minute podcast. Um, like, you're here, like, something in you, which we're going to call the Holy Spirit, is motivating you to be here and stay here. Yes. And that is way more powerful than being able to answer, you know, a specific Bible question or even a big picture theology question. Because a lot of times the answer to a big picture theology question that you don't know is, I don't know, but I think I know someone who does, right? Like, those are what pastors are for. Like, we, we yep. have a role to play here. But we are all like we are not we pastors are not supposed to be the only evangelists around here. Nope. <laughs> and I could talk about that and well if you so if you like that if you listen to this part of the show and don't listen to the other part of the show but liked this discussion, this is what the whole other part of the show is usually about. We just happen yeah. to have a verse that is about evangelism, but that is, you know, um how to restart a church. And one of my argue, core arguments um, that, that comes out of, of scripture like this and comes out of this kind of what the New Testament evangelists were really doing is, and I, and, I, and I see it kind of play out in other points in our history, is that to me when we're at our best is when we are at our most relational, mm-hmm. right? When we are able and willing 
we're always able, are we willing to be all things to all people, to be in amongst it, to be in the Agora building relationships rather than just, you know, taking the money of hoity-toity people to tickle their ears with, you know, fine learnings, which is really what the Corinthians mm. want. And the guys that they like, they're describing to Paul and this letter we don't have is like, hey, you're not doing the other guys. Like, you don't like boast about your knowledge and take our money. And Paul's like, nah, uh, because my real reward is that we're going to save some people here and I'm going to yeah. do whatever it takes to save some people here. And you can think I'm an apostle or not. And on some level, I'm not sure he really cares cares enough to write this letter though um you can agree about my credentials or not god seems to have a thought in this and this is what i'm doing um and so if you have your own stories of how you were reached of people you have reached um of ways you wish we were reaching email us we would love to share your thoughts on here the goodness of god pod at gmail.com it is the goodness of god pod at gmail.com if you want more like this, if you want to hear this sermon that, you know, you just heard in uh, conversation form or anything else we do, um, uh, youtube.com slash servants now has a lot. This show goes up here, goes up there. The sermons go up there. Um, if you want just the essay, if we want the essay early um, before the podcast, it goes up there. There's going to be some other stuff going up there soon when we can figure out some back end stuff. Um, anyways, it's youtube.com slash servants now is a wealth. If you watch this on video and want this on audio, we're on like the podcast services. Um, yes. I, just search the goodness of God. Um, and then the one with the better logo, there are two. The one with the better logo, that's us. Also the one that's currently updating, that's us. Um, I did the logo design. It's, I'm biased. Um, we're also got uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, Facebook. Um, it's all servants now on all of the things. Uh, Facebook, you get the worship service live um, as well as everything else. Um, this show, everything we do here in the Media Lab is made possible by a generous grant, an innovator's grant by the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. If you would like to help us, like, comment, subscribe, and share. Tell other people about this thing. If you get value out of it, Share with others, and maybe others will as well. But also, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next time.